not have one of the notebooks, raise your hand. So Carla has so, I believe, has so graciously assembled these notebooks, which is great for the ladies' um, sessions. I just love that she has done that for us. And um, you can follow right along, even though we're in the, in the big book too, but this way you have it and you can mark notes or whatever you may want to do. Uh, with your copy of the Lady Sessions in your little notebook. So I think that's an awesome idea. Thank you, Carla, and anyone else who was involved with that. And thank you to all of you ladies here at the Bear Valley Church who I know have contributed in so many different ways to make this happen and make this possible. I really like the venue here where we have all the ladies down here together. And um, if you're coming in, just come on in. Can y'all hear me okay? If he... I'll try to talk up. Uh, just come on in. We know that lunch break cuts into time, and um, just come on in. Y'all just keep walking on and down the stairs. Come on down, as they used to say on some game show of the past. So we're just about to get started, and I'm really excited for the topic of this uh, this event being all about hope and encouragement. There's so much need for that, and we all find ourselves at, at a place in our lives when when we just really feel an extra need for that. But I think it's something that we need all of the time, just to have some encouragement and hope brought our way. And God is really good to do that for us, and we're going to go to His Word to find the encouragement and hope that we're looking for today. So, I was assigned Hope is Our Anchor. And, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about. If you want to be turning to Hebrews chapter 6, that's going to be our primary text for this session. We flew here from Texas, and I wanted to pack a music box that I own that was given to me by uh, Julie, Julie Ramsey Hope. She had just, her kids had grown beyond the age of music boxes, and it's a little Fisher Price one that lasts forever, and it's a little plastic with the wind up, and it plays this little tune. And it's the tune that accompanies the words, when you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are, anything your heart desires will come to you. And it's the theme of Walt Disney, Disney World and all of the Disney companies. That's their theme song. And you probably can picture the little melody in your head, when you wish upon a star. It's real well known. However, it seems to me that pinning our hopes on a random star is a sure recipe for a broken heart. Much of what the world calls hope is nothing but empty wishes. Thankfully, the Christian's hope is different from the world's hope. Our hope is not just empty wishes, and that's what I've been asked to describe to us today or help us uh, retrieve from the Word of God. How is our hope different and why is it different? The recipients of the Hebrews letter were presented with a goal. And that goal was, as Neil Pollard told us so well last night, to realize the full assurance of hope unto the end. That's a great goal. It's in Hebrews 6 and verse 11. And the Hebrews audience is told that hope is the means by which they're going to draw near to God. And that's Hebrews 7 and verse 19. This is the hope of eternal life, which God promised long ages ago, Titus 1 and verse 2. So we're going to consider today some aspects of hope. We're going to consider three main aspects. Hope's description, hope's dual focus as a two-sided focus, and hope's requirements. We're going to mainly be in Hebrews chapter 6, so if you uh, haven't had a chance to turn there, Hebrews 6 will be our main springboard for today. 
So let's begin. If hope is not just empty wishes for Christians, what is it? To describe hope, let's consider a definition and then some characteristics. The word hope is first mentioned in chapter 6 of Hebrews in verse 11. So what is involved in this hope? What does this verse tell us? Let's, let me just jump in here and read that. And we desire that each of you demonstrate the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So let's find out some more about what that is. The word used for hope here is a word that means an expectation. We're expecting something to happen. But more than that, it's an anticipation, meaning we're expecting something good to happen. Different from dread, you might expect something to be happening that you dread. That's not hope. Hope is expecting something to happen that's good. And even more than that, it is something that we welcome joyfully. So we're invested and we care about this something that's going to happen. It's not just, oh yeah, something good's going to happen later on. It's, I really care about this good thing that's about to happen and that I've been told is about to happen. I'm excited about this good thing that's coming. And that is a reason why Christian hope makes a difference in us because it affects our entire outlook on life. We're invested in this hope. So what exactly are Christians excited about and invested in and hoping for? Let's listen to a couple of things that the Apostle Paul tells us. Paul writes that our anticipation or our hope is to enjoy the life to come with God by Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, and he gives a little uh, discussion of that in verses 19 through 23. Of course, we know 1 Corinthians 15 is the what chapter? the resurrection chapter, right? It's all about death is not the end. So our hope is rooted in that thought. Death is not the end. We're looking forward to something wonderful being made possible by God after this life is over. Paul said he was put on trial for his hope in Acts 23 and verse 6. So Christians who hope are joyfully anticipating what we all know and, and have learned as children from John 3.16. That's going to be the time when we will not perish, but what? Have eternal life or everlasting life. That's right. So that's a really kind of working definition of hope for us. This is what Christian hope looks like. Then in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, we're given some characteristics of Christian hope. So let's look at that verse for a minute and pull a couple of things out of it. In verse 19 of Hebrews 6, we find hope described as an anchor of the soul. Now, I was thinking about how to uh, look at an anchor, and I looked at a couple pictures of an anchor online, so I'm, bear with me. I'm going to try to do a little, little drawing here. And we're thinking of like a ship's anchor, okay? It's a really big, metal, heavy, sturdy object that the sailors would throw overboard to root the ship or stop it from moving around in the sea, right? So, um, an anchor of the soul. And if you want to hear the exact definition of Merriam-Webster, it's a device, usually of metal, attached to a ship or a boat by a cable, which I did not draw. Okay, and there's the cable. And it's uh, cast overboard 
to hold the ship in a particular place by means of the flukes which dig into the bottom. <coughs> so hope anchors our soul. It holds our souls firmly in place by being attached to something sturdy. In Hebrews 6.19, we're also told that hope is both sure and reliable. Picture hope as an anchor with two large flukes or prongs. We're doubly assured with this anchor. It's not just a single hook that we hope will catch onto something. It's got two sides to it, and that gives it a double chance of grabbing and gripping and holding. The first word, sure, means something that's safe. Literally, something that does not totter. The Christian's hope is not unsure. It's not shaky. It's not flimsy, right? It's uh, it's sure. It's not about to break. The second word is a term, I'm going to use the reliable. You might have a slightly different word in your translation. It means firm and steadfast. It means unshakable and on solid footing. So our hope's not flimsy. This is a very sturdy anchor. This anchor digs in and does not let go. This hope sounds a lot different from a haphazard wish thrown up into the night sky. The Christian's hope is strong and certain. And we're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, which is the chapter of what? Faith, right? Faith's Hall of Fame. It gives us a big listing of people who we can look back and read about and those who whose lives just just really showed us their dedication for God and their clinging to God. But in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11, we read that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, and you may have a slightly different uh, parallel word, of things not seen. So, that's like something that's certain, something that's approved, something that's evident. That, those sound like concrete words, don't they? This is not something that's uh, flimsy or unsolid. These are solid words. A Christian's hope supports the Christian's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I told Mike, I whispered to my husband last night when Neil was preaching, I said, he's preaching my lesson. Because <laughs> he mentioned the same thing. Yeah, and so hope and faith are intertwined. And when our hope takes a beating, our faith is gonna, it's going to do the same. It's, it's very important that we look at the subject of hope. And let's explore that some more about hope as we continue. So the writer to those Hebrew Christians is in the middle of a thought when, he, when we get to verse 19 when he describes hope. So let's grasp the context just a little bit and get some perspective and see hope's focus. Go back up to verse 13 where his thought began. And as we go back up to that verse, the Hebrews writer is pointing his readers back to back in time. He says, hope's going to look back. We're going to look back for a minute at something in the past. We're going to look back to Abraham as an example of somebody who hoped in the promises of God. Picture, if you will, and I thank you so much, Carla. Y'all know the lunch hour was a little brief, and we had planned to make it back to our room, but no, that didn't happen. So thanks to, to my assistant who 
that's fine. Who, um, my, my assistant, my lovely assistant, Carla, <laughs> who was able to, thank you, who's able to get this from my husband who made a mad dash back to the room, got the stuff, and she had to assemble it all for me without even knowing what it was supposed to look like. So kudos to you, Carla. Anyway, we're going to go back to this. So Abraham, Abraham was given a promise by God. Picture, if you will, something that looks like this. It's a, it's a, a wrapped gift. Okay. And it's appealing maybe to look at and you start to think, Ooh, I wonder what's inside. Is that for me? Well, it was, it was for Abraham and God places a beautiful promise in front of Abraham. He says, I'm giving you this. Abraham's gift contained a promise with four parts, which you can read about in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and several other places in the, in the Old Testament. Not only did God provide Abraham with a promise, but he added a gorgeous bow and put a tag on it, if you will. We read in verse 14. It's the extra step that God went to, God's oath. God confirmed with an oath to Abraham this promise that this gift was really his and he really was going to get to open it one day we find out in verse 16 but as with all good things and presents so often we have to wait Abraham was going to have to wait to open this present this promise from God wasn't he and he was going to have to wait a lot longer than he thought he would have to wait so during that time, Abraham hoped, he anticipated, he joyfully welcomed the time when he would get to open this gift of God and receive the promises of God. Flip over to Romans chapter 4 for just a minute. Romans chapter 4 expands for us a little bit Abraham's gift. And in verse 18 of Romans 4, it tells us that in hope against hope, he believed. Did you ever feel like you were hoping against hope? And that's a phrase that we hear um, that sometimes maybe there's not really a great reason to hope, but I'm going to hope anyway. I'm hoping against hope that this is going to happen. And in verse 19 of Romans 4, it said he did not become weak in faith. And then verses 20 through 21, with respect to the promise of God, his gift, he did not waver. He was fully assured. That's that solidarity that we were talking about in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. He was fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to perform. Wow, that's a great example of hope for us. Back in Hebrews chapter 6, we read that Abraham's patient waiting paid off. He finally obtained his promise. So as our hope looks back, back to Abraham, we find that his hope was sure and reliable because it rested on a sure and reliable God. God's promise and his oath were true. God is a God who cannot lie, Titus 1 and verse 2. God didn't hold out an empty promise to Abraham. Looking back at Abraham and reading the rest of his story, and opening, we see him opening up his promise. Our hope can grow stronger in the character of God when we do this. We see the value and the blessing of trusting in God who is faithful and trustworthy. I love that we have some babies here and some small kids, and that's awesome. That is the life of the church continuing. 
isn't it great to see when a, when a mama brings her baby for the first time and we get a chance to look into that sweet little newborn face and maybe their eyes are open that day and we get to see their sweet little gaze. It's just there's not, nothing, maybe no feeling that's better to a mama for sure than to look into the sweet face of her baby and, and to see and ha all her hopes realized for this child in the future. Can you imagine what a poignant moment it must have been for Abraham and Sarah when they got to look into the sweet little face of their baby son Isaac and look into his little eyes and they started to realize that was the first, that was their first glimpse of the promise of God. He was starting to open his gift and that was the first step. Abraham's hopes would be realized through his son. So we saw where the Hebrews writer pointed the Christians back. Hey, look back over here at Abraham for a minute. See how his life paid off because he hoped in God? Well, now the Hebrews writer is going to point us forward. So let's go back into Hebrews 6, our context for today. And we're going to look down to verse 19. And the last part of verse 19 and, and verse 20 is going to point our minds and our eyes upward. First, we looked back to Abraham, but now we're going to look on forward, where we read that our eyes are now on heaven. The Christian's hope enters inside the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. And that's the, right towards the end of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 7 goes on to describe for us in great detail some of the characteristics of Jesus. So flip your page over to Hebrews chapter 7 for a second. And let's, let's take a look at our, let's take a look forward to Jesus and see where he is and what he's like. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 17 says he's our priest forever. Forever. Is there an expiration date on that? Nope. Forever has no expiration date, does it? Verse 19 says Jesus brings a better hope. Is that better than the one that Abraham got? Sure is. Jesus gives us a better hope, absolutely. And then in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, we read, He is able to save forever those who come to God through Him. Does that sound like our salvation's on shaky ground? I'm not really sure if Jesus can do this or not. No, it doesn't. We have a sure and steadfast salvation in Jesus. In verse 25, we find out that Jesus' work was not done. Sometimes we understand that he accomplished something when he went to the cross and died. And he said, it is finished. And yes, that part of his work was finished. But in verse 25, we find out he's still doing something. He's still working. He's interceding for us. Our, the cross wasn't the end, and he is Jesus is still working on our behalf. So we found finding some a lot of good faith strengthening characteristics of Jesus here in Hebrews seven. And then finally in Hebrews seven and verse twenty eight, we find out that Jesus is perfect forever. There are no flaws in Jesus. He's not going to miss anything. He's not going to mess anything up. He's completely able to do the job that he is doing for us. When we look into the eyes of Jesus, that's God's firstborn son, we might say. We look into his eyes through scripture. We see the kickoff of our promise just like Abraham did. All of our hopes will be realized through God's son.
The world's hope rests on nothing but a twinkle in the evening sky. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might, have this wish I wish tonight. <laughs> have y'all ever said that? We used to do that with our kids. It's a traditional nursery rhyme dating back to the late 19th century in America. But it shows that the world's hope is often based in superstition, right? The Christian's hope is in another star. Revelation 22 and verse 16 describes our star. Our star is Jesus, the bright and what? Morning star. Jesus is our focus. He's the one in whom our hope rests. Against the black backdrop, not of a night sky, but of the darkness of sin, Jesus shines so brightly. I like the adage, keep looking up. We have it pinned to the copy, uh, the copy room wall at my office, keep looking up. Because sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? Uh, keep looking up. But instead of desperate wishes, keep looking up to the one who fulfills all of his promises. And that is Jesus. There's a song we sometimes sing, and I told Carla if everybody started looking drowsy, we were going to do some exercises or maybe sing a song. So we're going to sing a song. See what if you can sing most of this with me from memory. I know I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to a direct quote from Paul in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12 and I love it. It perfectly describes what we're talking about today. I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded convinced, hoping that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It is a great reminder that passage to keep looking forward keep looking up hoping in Jesus. So we looked a little at Hope's description Hope's dual focus, forwards and backwards. Let's consider Hope's requirement. We noticed a goal when we first started this evening or this afternoon, and it was from Hebrews 6 and verse 11. What was that goal? That they were going to realize the full assurance of hope, what? Until the end. Until the end. It was a goal for those readers, and it's a goal for us, too. Well, the next verse identifies a problem. You know how it goes in life. If you have a goal, what's the very first thing that pops up? Well, here's a problem. What about this? The, ne the next verse, verse 12. Every goal has challenges, and hopes is no different. So in verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish, the verse begins. Hmm. Other translations might say slothful or lazy, sluggish. It's the same Greek word used in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 where it is translated dull. So just get that picture. Our grandson, we have four grandkids you mentioned, the oldest one's eight years old, a little boy named Mikey. Well, Mikey is at the perfect age to be inquisitive and curious about a lot of things. One day Mikey was over at our house and he noticed a a little pocket knife that was laying on the table and, and, it, and it's a, a, a knife that you unfold and 
the, the cover of the exterior of the knife was shaped in the shape of a key, and he thought that was so cool. You know, oh, Mimi, can I look at this knife? And I said, yeah, but just be careful, you know. So he gets the pocket knife, and he pulls out the little, it's not very big, the little blade, and he's looking at it. And then I see him, and he takes his little eight-year-old finger, and he reaches up there to touch the blade. And I'm watching to make sure, you know. And he goes, me, this thing is dull. <laughs> and he puts it down. <laughs> Even an eight-year-old knows that when something is dull, it is not going to be very useful, right? So we don't want our hope to be dull. These readers were becoming dull. Dull of hearing, Hebrews 5 and verse 11, and in danger of losing their grip on hope, on the hope they once had, Hebrews 6 and verse 12. They're becoming sluggish, dull. You know, there's an anchor. I mean, I'm sorry, when we, we drew this anchor a minute ago, there's a rope or a chain or a cable that connects the anchor to something strong. And that's the part that makes the anchor work. You know, you can't just throw the anchor off the boat if it's not attached and connected. I once decided to try plumbing. You'll know the story won't end well once I said the word plumbing. <laughs> we had a slow drain and Michael's out of town or something and I thought, you know, I can probably fix this. I can probably do something about this. So I tried the traditional methods and researched a little bit and I figured out that or discovered that you can buy a snake. And I don't know if you are a plumber, but a snake is a handy-dandy little gadget. It's a metal rope that's pretty long. And it's a, the one I purchased was attached to a spool with a crank and everything. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. So I went up on the roof to where the vent pipe is that goes to the plumbing that I was needing to clean out. <laughs> and I said, this, this is a piece of cake. I got this. So I put the end of this metal rope snake down into the vent. I was like, oh, it's working pretty good. You know, here goes the snake down there. It's designed to, to ream out whatever's causing your drain to be slow. Great idea, right? So it's, I'm just watching it go down there. It's going down there just like a charm until we got close to the end of its length. I suddenly noticed that the snake was not attached to the spool and it went the whole entire length of that metal snake was now down in my drain with my clog and I had a bigger mess than when I had started. Now I just want to ask you ladies, who would design a snake without attaching it to the spool that you were cranking so you could crank it back up? I mean, I think it was probably a man, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Ah, but there's something to be said about having a grip on it, right? Who uses an anchor without gripping it firmly? What do these Christians need to do to tighten up their loose grip? How could they correct this, this uh, condition that they were becoming half-hearted with their hope? So after refocusing them backwards to Abraham and forwards to Jesus, the Holy Spirit through the penman gives them some specific encouragement now. So we're going to look in Hebrews 6 and verse 17 to find the requirements of hope, the essentials, the things that are going to make this hope strong and make our hope, our, our you know, attachment to it strong and solid. Well, the very first thing, that I, and I love this about the Bible, if you read the Bible, don't ever gloss over God's part because God has a part in everything. In every part of our salvation, God has a part. So in the very part, first part of verse 17, God has a part. 
Just like he did for Abraham, God has placed a promise before us. We who are the heirs of promise. Did you know you were an heir? You're the heir of promise. It's a beautiful gift. God's promise to us, the heirs. It's wonderfully wrapped. It contains the promise of God. God desiring even more to demonstrate to the heirs of promise. That includes us. The fact that his purpose is unchangeable confirmed it with an oath. There's the bow. Just made it that much better. And there's a gift tag that says for you on God's promise. I'll stick that right there. How much better can God make it? He does this for us too, just as he did for Abraham. And let's go into verse 18, two unchangeable things. It is impossible for God to lie. We're being extra encouraged to hope based on the character of God and hope in his promises. Just look at the descriptive terms here in this chapter. Unchangeable, impossible. It is impossible for God to go back on his word. His purpose is never going to change. He's not about to snatch this gift back and say, oh, wait, never mind. That's not for you. No. God's promise and his oath are permanent. It is impossible for God to say anything untrue. Have you ever been the recipient of an empty promise? Where someone said, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. I promise we will we'll get together one day. People can make empty promises, right? Does God ever make an empty promise? No, he does not. This is our God. It's outside of his character to make an empty promise. He's unable to do that, if you want to think of it that way. Then in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, the last part of the verse says that this hope is set before us. This is still God's part. God has paid so much to provide this gift to us. It's an extravagant gift. It's unthinkable. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. How much did God pay for this gift? Do we know? We are humbly in awe of the gift of eternal life made possible by Jesus and paid for by him. If we're ever wavering in our hope, go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a place that tells us if God has given us Jesus, can we doubt that he always has good to give? He always has good to give. Romans 8 and verse 32. James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God gives good gifts. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Our God richly supplies us. God paid so much for us to have the gift of salvation. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, and that's not it in this bag. It is not it. I will tell you the story later. Just come ask me. All right. So God has already done his part to make this gift possible. This is our promise, right? And it's beautiful. And it's sitting before us. And God's saying, here it is, but you got to wait a little while. Just like Abraham, we're going to have to wait a little while before we get to open this gift. So what's our part? What, what are we going to do while we're waiting, like Abraham, to open this gracious and amazing gift from God? Well, God's saying, hold on to the rope. 
take hold even more tightly. It'll be worth it. God, who has done so much, is asking us just to take hold and hold on and stand on his promises. We're going to be diligent, not dull. Abraham patiently waited. We're going to patiently wait. We're not going to let go. We won't let the rope of hope slip from our grip. We're going to tie a knot and hang on. Friends, our gift has strings attached, we might say, in verses 19 through 20. We're holding on to the rope, right? But where's the anchor? What are we attached to? Where is it? Our anchor, God's anchor, is not something that pulls us down like a ship's anchor goes down into the depths of a cold, dark sea. God doesn't pull us down with our anchor into the, into the depths of despair. Our anchor is with Jesus. What direction is that? Uh, Jesus has our anchor in his pocket, if you will, in his hand as he walks back into heaven. Our connection to Jesus will tow us all the way home with him. We just need to hold on. John 14, 1 through 6. About 90 years before Disney's Wish Upon a Star song came out, which we started our lesson on this evening, another writer, Ralph Waldo Emerson, coined a phrase. His phrase was, hit your wagon to a star. This means to aim high by partnering with somebody or something who is already successful or already revered. And that is how the Christian's hope is different from the world's. We're partnered, hitched to Jesus, heaven's superstar. Because our hope is in him, we're successfully and truly anchored now and into eternity. I brought a little tiny token for you. I like to do that. Um, maybe it's in here. Did you see where those went? Okay, thank you. I told y'all early on that Carla had to help me out heavily because we didn't make it back to our room after lunch. So she was able to run and do some things for me. And I thank you so much, Carla. So I brought you a little tiny token and it's just a little gift tag to remind you that you have a promise waiting has the word hope on it and a star because that's Jesus. That's where all our hopes are pinned. So at the end, come up here and get you one. I'm just going to put them over here on this table next to the brochures and the notebooks. And just a little tiny token to think about when you need just a little extra encouragement to remember that our hope is firmly fastened to Jesus. Let's sing the first verse of My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. All right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest faith, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Andes and pass them out. Have them out. This, let me think about these. This.
this came from this group that's right out outside the restrooms in the hall. She she thought this would be a great little addition to Cherie's lesson. If you don't mind, Cherie. When I was reading her manuscript, this visual, and I'm so glad you drew this on the board, but I got this visual in my mind. If I can do this, add to it. Where's the black? It's up there. That I had never really seen before. That here's me and you holding on to the anchor. Here's the line. I cannot draw. This is the hand of Jesus. If this is wrapped around, here's the veil. Are you all laughing at my drawing? <laughs> but think about this. What happened to the veil in the temple? It's torn from top to bottom, right? So that took away that veil that was between us and the Lord. So when I was reading her manuscript, I thought, when you read this passage and you see this in your mind, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope, take hold of that anchor that's set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner before us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So I just thought that I, I like visuals. I'm, I can do visual and read things, but this just, I have thought of this so many times since I read your manuscript and thought about how Jesus is on the other side of the veil, holding on to his part, and what we have to do while we're in these storms that this whole lectureship is about, what we have to do is hang on to that anchor that's the hope so thank you for that visual for me because that has just given me a lot of um, comfort for my soul thank you for your lecture stay around for the next one cindy baker is going to speak to us uh, she had given a lesson in in uh, one of our women's classes two years ago at the institute and she said something that just really struck a chord with me she said god don't let me get in your way and so that's what she's going to be talking about today. So we'll we'll break for about 15 minutes so you have time to get a drink out of the restroom and then be back down here.